right, glad you're with us at 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program on this Friday, 32 days, and you are the ultimate jury. You know, it's amazing what you see in people at moments when even even somebody gets a virus and, and the reaction. A lot of it very predictable. Um, you know, a normal person would, if anybody gets sick, you, okay, we might disagree politically, but we wish you the best. Or, but that that's not the case, which by the way, I, I'd actually rather and prefer people be honest in and not being a bunch of phony hypocrites and, and act like they really give a rip when they don't. I mean, that's one thing I've said about Bill Maher that I actually like. He's not going to sit there and say, uh, yeah, I'm really, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Trumps because he hates them and he's going to continue hating them. I, I prefer raw honesty over the phony uh, you know, statements of some people here. Look, good people will wish the first lady and the first family and the president of the United States their best wishes, their thoughts, their prayers with a full understanding of what we have been as a country and a world dealing with as a result of uh, this virus that China inflicted upon the nation. You're going to have the typical people and the mob, the media, the institutional forces that hate Donald Trump, including prominent Democrats, uh, will they will predictably go out there and, and try and exploit this for some type of political gain. How they get there, I don't know. I mean, is there anything, is there any lines, boundaries that exist anymore? I'm kind of thinking, not really. I don't think they exist. Um, but the, a normal person wishes everybody good health. Um, and, and we send our best wishes to the, to the president, uh, the first family, Melania Trump. Uh, I think all good, decent Americans, and I believe we are really good, decent people. And the American people are, have proven over and over again how extraordinarily nice, kind, generous that we are. I mean, and as now as we race towards a, a vaccine, as we've advanced with therapeutics for COVID-19, you know, what, what have we seen? We, we share our findings with everybody. If it's Pfizer, if it's Moderna, if it's AstraZeneca. Remember, all these companies are in third and final phase human testing trials for vaccine. If you just stop and you think, well, the first case of coronavirus in America was identified on January 21st of this year. And here we are on October the 2nd, thinking about the fact and that we are close to a, a vaccine. Uh, we've advanced therapeutics to pretty sophisticated levels. We know how to treat this disease. We know how to treat aspects of this disease that we didn't know how to treat in the beginning. I mean, some people, their their immune system goes into system overload and they figured out how to deal with that, where even when you're beyond any threat from the virus, that your own body kind of turns against itself and we've had many doctors on this program explain what can happen and how to do it. Uh, we've we've gone over exhaustively on this program. Uh, the, the the one published study about hydroxychloroquine that got quoted the most is the one that got pulled. And we've gone over anecdotally and, and then also the different studies that had taken place on that. By the way, Dr. Oz will join us for a full hour, second hour today. We'll get a full update on therapeutics, vaccine, everything you want, need to know uh about coronavirus uh in in the meantime even while fighting 
off COVID, President Trump will be probably three times more engaged than, you know, uh, Bunker Basement Joe took the day off yesterday because the day before was so, so stressful. Um, but anyway, look, it's a we've lost 200, a little over 200,000 Americans. It's the worst pandemic since 1917 and 18. It was a part of the debate. Joe would not have implemented the travel ban. I think really dumb on his part, caring more about what China would think of us, caring to score cheap political points. It's it's hysterical xenophobia and fear mongering, uh, saying that almost through the end of March. Uh, hiding almost the whole time. I guess you're never going to get sick if you hide in your basement bunker. Uh, nobody likes the virus. It is an invisible enemy. China did unleash this on the world. They had the opportunity to bring in the world's finest medical researchers and scientists and doctors to help contain this. The only thing they contained was travel out of Wuhan province to the rest of China and from the rest of China into Wuhan province while they simultaneously uh, allowed in, you know, people to travel all over the world from Wuhan, uh, which is unbelievable. Um, pretty, pretty sad. Um, you, you know, and, and how bad do you want? I mean, how much do you want to hear here? You know, do you want to hear? Apparently, Washington Times is reporting that Congresswoman Tlaib, part of the squad uh, earlier today, slamming the president following his his COVID-19 positive diagnosis saying his deadly lies contributed to the deaths of too many Americans. He still won't wear a mask, he tweets out. He only cares about himself and his life, not those around him. Well, he could have gone into hiding also, but he went out there working every single solitary day. And, you know, I I, I know that there is a segment of, of society that would love a perpetual shutdown and you know, I guess if we if we live all of our lives, we I guess we can live in a bubble. Uh, but who's going to build the bubble if everybody shuts down? It would sort of like in the midst of the worst moment of this 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 virus. Uh, you know, I, I said many, many times that if those that were manufacturing all of the PPE, the shields, the masks, the gloves, the ventilators, Imagine if they shut down for their own safety. If they shut down, what would have happened to New York and New Jersey and all these hard-hit states, Michigan, Pennsylvania? Uh, What would have happened? What if the farmers decided it's safer to stay inside and not farm? What if the packers didn't pack the trucks up with the food and the medicines and the supplies that we all need? What if the drivers didn't want to drive because they thought it was safer not to drive? Well... Uh, well, we say, well, OK, those are essential workers. Um, life is is hard. I, we were going over this yesterday. It is difficult. It is challenging. There's not a single person in this world that will go through life and not be hit hard with something. It's it is inevitable. It is part of the life process. It is something we all live with. It is something we all go through. The people, every single person I've ever met in my life that that had a significant, serious cancer diagnosis in their life, they usually end up being the most thoughtful because life becomes became for them for a period. If they're on the other side of it, you know, um, something that was extraordinarily precious, more precious than they otherwise would think of on a normal day. We don't wake up every day and say, ah. 
Ah, we live in America. Oh, I'm healthy. Let me let me go out there and, and spread the good news. I'm, he- I'm healthy today. But once you face the possibility that you might not be healthy, and then you get your health back again, you kind of appreciate life a little bit more. So, you know, then you got, let's see. Oh, we got a great, who is this? <laughs> a former top campaign staffer to both Hillary and Barack Obama. She's facing a fierce backlash for a tweet wishing death to President Trump, uh, who revealed hours earlier that he and the First Lady had tested positive. It's been against my moral identity to tweet this for the last four years, but I hope he dies. Zara Rahim wrote 37,000 followers in a now-deleted tweet. I feel free, she writes in a subsequent tweet. This effing rules read another tweet, which included a, a selfie of her smiling and throwing up a peace sign. By the way, her Twitter account was set to private on Friday morning. I wonder why. Um, so anyway, our prayers go out. It's um, we've we've made advancements. Um, the White House physician has said the president will be carrying out his duties without disruption, despite testing positive. Uh, obviously quarantined with the first lady. So there'll be less contact, I'm sure, with the president for the next 14 days following specific protocols. Knowing Donald Trump as we do, I would expect that he's probably going to share with everybody what his course of treatment will be. The New York Times has been slammed for suggesting the president might not remain on the ballot after the coronavirus diagnosis. National press don't want to be called the enemy of the people, Curtis Houck wrote. New York Times slammed Friday for suggesting the president might not be able to remain on the ballot following this positive coronavirus test. Why not? Uh, Why would that be? You know, many critics have even sent the president well wishes and they deserve credit for being human. Uh, If he becomes sick, it raises questions about whether he should remain on the ballot at all. New York Toilet Paper Times reporters Peter Baker and Maggie Haberman write, After noting that the president's positive test throws the nation's leadership into uncertainty. You know, now we're getting the successor of power now uh, things. Ex-White Dr. Ronnie Jackson said there's plenty of time between now and the October 15th debate. The Commission on Presidential Debate said next week's uh, debate between the vice president and Kamala Harris will move forward. Uh, A lot of good Americans, you see the goodness in people just overflowing and and even from some people on the left uh, sending the best wishes they can to the to the president and the first lady critics, those seizing on the president's positive coronavirus test uh, test to mock and lecture uh, the president on all of this. You know, the president gets tested every day. Everybody that's around the president has been getting tested every day. You know, is it a fail safe? Is it a perfect system? No, but it's been one that has served them pretty well, pretty much all throughout this pandemic. And so it's um, it is what it is. These people are who they are. They cannot control themselves. They don't want to control themselves. And this was a big point that I was making about all of those feigning outrage that a real raw debate broke out. And all of a sudden, everybody gets the vapors. You have Hollywood reacting to the news with the, you know, karma 2020. Wow. You don't have anything better to say. Um, it just it just shows you the celebrity left. What have I been saying? I said institutional forces, the likes of which we've never seen before. And that is the Democratic Party in unison. 
Very few variations. That's the media mob, the 99.9%. That's the Hollywood elite as well. Just every second minute hour of every day, they have done nothing but hate on this president. And then they feign the selective moral outrage if the president fights and battles back. Well, I actually like a fighter for president. I like the guy that fought to beat the caliphate, fought to take out Soleimani, fought to take out Baghdadi and associates, fought to take out the al-Qaeda leader in Yemen, uh, is willing to fight Iran and their aggressive actions as well, fought for the money for the border wall, fought for his Supreme Court candidates, fought for his tax cuts, uh, fought for energy independence and achieved it, uh, fought to break down the bureaucracy. Um, Yeah, I kind of like people that fight for what they promise they're going to do. But some people, I guess, are offended by it. Uh, anyway, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free uh, telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. We're going to have Dr. Oz for a full hour today. Just go over this. We haven't updated uh, you on coronavirus in a while. And uh, we'll have the very latest, uh, especially as it relates to vaccines and better therapeutics if people, in fact, still do contract this this virus. Gotta love the ever-compassionate, loving left in this country, Michael Moore. It's possible that Trump is lying about having COVID-19 to gain sympathy. Patricia Arquette fearing Trump will downplay coronavirus as just a bad flu after testing positive. Washington Post tweeting uh, after the news broke. Imagine what it will be like to never have to think about Trump again. Yeah, they had to delete that. Fake news, CNN's Don Lemon. Is this a moment of reckoning for the president and this administration? Um, Didn't people at his network have it? Wish everybody there the best. Um, It's it's just a lot of this is so predictable. Now you got Schumer and Feinstein. They, well, why why let any good uh, crisis go to waste, right? Rom, Rombo, Deadfish. They're now seizing on the Trump team COVID outbreak to delay Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation. Of course, why not? You know, let's, you know, we can always look at the upside here for us politically. Uh, The CDC, this is what I had pointed out the other day. Seven months ago, the CDC's estimates were that COVID fatality was at 3.4%, meaning if you contracted the virus, you had 3.4% chance of dying. CDC released new figures as of last Friday, and they put the fatality rate less than a half of 1% for everybody under 70. Uh, The president's 74, and at that point, it's, you know, people over 70 that have underlying conditions and compromised immune systems. Mortality rate there is is 5% high, but that was the one thing that remained constant. Over there at the New York Toilet Paper Times, I'll get into more detail in the next segment on this. They're they're already dancing in the aisles over the idea that Trump's COVID diagnosis means his re-election bid is doomed. Man, these people, man, they cannot help themselves. They really can't. Uh, How about we just wish them, you know, a speedy recovery. Our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family and your wife today. Uh, It's too much to ask. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? Pelosi is out there. So compassionate. I knew it wouldn't take long before the Democrats, you know, start playing politics with this. Schumer, Feinstein. Oh, we now must delay 
Um, we've got to delay uh, the the hearings of Amy Coney Barrett now. No, we don't. I mean, we don't. Um, I don't know. But I thought maybe they'd at least wait a day before politicizing it. Now, remember Nancy Pelosi, come to Chinatown, you know, <laughs> towards the end of February of this year, right? Come to, it's, it's fine, it's safe. The same person we see without a mask violating the, the rules out in San Francisco, then lashing out at the salon owner as she needed to get her, her hair done without a mask on inside the salon with the video. And, you know, now criticizing the president for uh, his disdain for the severity of the coronavirus. Well, if he didn't care about the coronavirus, why did he put the travel ban in effect 10 days after the first case? Does that make sense to you? Why did he put the first quarantine in place in over 50 years? Now Pelosi suggesting the president's repeated reluctance to wear the mask. Well, why didn't you wear it in the salon? You know, just like this, this representative in front of the Pennsylvania governor saying, yeah, I just wear it for show, not because I really believe it. Going into crowds, unmasked, all the rest was sort of a brazen invitation for something like this to happen, she said. We must have spatial distancing. We must be wearing our masks. We must have sanitation because it can help crush the virus and stop the spread. So maybe now that people who see the president of the United States with all the protection that he has and the first lady still having this exposure, it might be a as you say, a learning experience. But more than learning, it has to be something that is acted upon. This is tragic. It's very sad. But it also is something that, that uh, again, uh, going into crowds, uh, unmasked and all the rest, was sort of a, a brazen invitation for something like this to happen. Sad that it did, uh, but nonetheless hopeful uh, that it will be a transition to a saner approach to what this virus is all about. By the way, Hope Hicks, and this I confirmed with numerous people, and you can see it on Marine One. There's video that we were running last night, and it was running all over Fox last night. I, I did call into the Fox News channel as the news was breaking. Um, and you see her on Marine One. She, nobody in the White House wore her mask more religiously than Hope Hicks. Nobody. Um it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, people are going to be who they are. And that is that Democrats are Democrats and they just, you know, politics trumps everything else here. Um, you have uh, Senator Chris Murphy. If the president can't be out there on the campaign trail for up to two weeks, then he's going to have to rely on his surrogates. And unfortunately, one of them is Vladimir Putin. You know, much more serious about the Russian threat given today's news. If President Trump can't be out there on the campaign trail for the next two weeks, then he is going to rely on his surrogates. And unfortunately, one of his surrogates is Vladimir Putin. So you are likely going to see this campaign ramped up by Russia over the next few weeks to try to substitute for the president's absence on the campaign trail. I, does any of this surprise you? Because none of it surprises me. I mean, it's, it's just it's a standard fare for this radical left that we have in this country. Uh, all right. Back to the New York Toilet Paper Times. They're now dancing in the aisles, seemingly uh, that, well, this might mean the president's reelection bid is doomed. 
Uh, anyway, they, they, New York Times, with his health and the country's stability at risk, strategist, even senior aides to the president, by the way, anonymous sourcing again, shocker, said he would face a harsh judgment from voters based on the announcement that he contracted coronavirus, inviting significant questions about his cavalier attitude toward the pandemic. You know, this whole thing got started with, you know, the president saying publicly, yeah, he downplayed the virus, but his actions showed otherwise. Nobody thought he should put the travel ban in effect 10 days after the first case. Nobody thought the subsequent travel ban should be put in. Nobody thought that the president would should go forward with the first quarantine in 50 whatever how many years. Anyway, it goes on um, that it's hard to imagine this doesn't end his hopes of reelection, said Rob Stutzman, a Republican consultant. Oh, I don't even know. I might know this guy. I don't even remember him. Even if Mr. Trump does not fully uh, does fully recover after his isolation period, millions of Americans now are. Uh, already voting, mail-in ballot, in-person, early voting. For all the drama 2020 has delivered, the presidential race has largely been impervious to events, including impeachment, the virus, unrest and over racism, severe economic distress. Mr. Biden has enjoyed a steady lead, but an incumbent president testing positive for a potentially deadly disease is of a greater order of magnitude. Okay, that's the New York Times. Washington Post columnist blasting Melania Trump. Why? She thanked get well wishers. Not making this up. Jennifer Rubin claims she's a Republican. That's a joke. Uh, Until recently dubbed herself a conservative. That's a joke. Lashing out at the first lady after Melania thanked people for sending love her way after she tested positive. Thank you for the love you're sending our way. She posted on Twitter. I have mild symptoms, but overall feel good. I'm looking forward to a speedy recovery. Anyway, then Ruben quickly replied, the first lady, you know, accused her of not caring about children. You may not give an F about children. The MSDNC contributor wrote, but decent people care about one another. So, oh boy, she sounds like she cares an awful lot about people. And of course, Trump's uh, activism as first lady is centered on children. And she's visited children and staffers at many hospitals. But, you know, I guess none of this matters to the radical left. It is shocking. There's one aide, I guess, and of Hillary, former White House, Obama White House staffer, Hillary Clinton's former 2016 national spokesperson. It's been against my moral identity to tweet this for the past four years, but I hope he dies. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, there's such good people. <laughs> it's so nice. Uh, Tom Arnold shared Hope Hicks's cell phone number after she tested positive. Wasn't that nice of Tom Arnold to do that? Well, pretty sick. Um, White House Chief COVID Advisor Scott Atlas predicts the president will make a full, rapid recovery. Most people do. And, of course, we hope that. We'll get the latest from Dr. Oz when he comes up on uh, later in the program today. Um, so that's like the news from Lake Wobegon or the swamp, or the sewer. But we do have an election in 32 days. The president will be back out on the campaign trail, is my very strong belief and conviction. And, you know, but there are other leftists out there that are, you know, cheering the news about the president, Hope Hicks. I hope they both die. It's all over the place.
This is your compassionate, loving, liberal left in America. By the way, the jobless rate fell for the fifth straight month in a row, creating another 661,000 new jobs. Guess what? Now the unemployment rate is below 8%, 7.9. They are predicting now the, the Atlanta Fed that third quarter GDP growth can be as high as 32%, which would be by far a record set in this country. Uh, Hillary voters in Michigan, this was in the New York Post today, the road to the White House, again, is going to run through a lot of rural blue-collar communities in Michigan and in Wisconsin and even Minnesota now and in Pennsylvania. And Biden has uh, increasingly leaned into his working-class roots, which is a joke. I mean, is that how Hunter made all his money? Uh, A different story on the ground, though, because a number of Clinton supporters on the fence about Biden now have switched to Donald Trump. I'm a Donald Trump supporter and I can't tell any of my friends said Kathy Connolly, 72 semi-retired real estate agent voted for Clinton four years ago, said she didn't approve of Trump's handling of the pandemic or his name calling. But for her, the biggest issue is the economy after she was widowed and Trump made my life easier with the stock market. By the way, the stock market was a little wobbly at the start of uh, business today and it recovered nicely. Last time I checked, I'll, I'll look at it in a minute. As far as uh, some things, I don't like him. But as far as his policies, I like them. I think it's for a lot of people. Maybe you don't like his style, but he got the job done. And this, you know, this is my whole point here. Voter uh, registration, by the way, data in battleground states was showing a huge boost for the president. Republicans added 195,652 voters in Florida. Democrats only 98,000. Uh, that is a, a big jump. Pennsylvania Republicans added 135,000 and Democrats 57,000. Uh, North Carolina Republicans added 83,000. Democrats only 38,000. More good news. But, you know, again, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen. Um, you know, in, uh, at the end of the day, can anybody really tell us? But I'm going to tell you, this election is this this is meaningful. This is, to me, it's, you know, a five-alarm fire going off of my head uh, in terms of the urgency and the importance of this election because everything that we, we hold dear and that we cherish preserving, protecting liberty and freedom is all on the ballot. Second Amendment rights are on the ballot. Check and, checks and balances are on the ballot. You want limited government? That's, that's on the ballot, too. You got the most radical ticket of any major party in the history of this country now they're talking about court packing and and they're not hiding it now they're talking about ending the legislative filibuster and they're not hiding that either everything's on the table chuck is saying i guess that means eventually eliminating the electoral college so new york california new jersey and illinois will pick every president i don't think that's going to go over particularly well either and every other scheme and plan that they have but you know court packing oh great well, let's take over an entire branch of governments and put on liberal activist justices. Let's turn D.C. and Puerto Rico into states so we have a a Senate majority of Democrats in perpetuity, which is what their hope is. You know what that that they're saying these things. And Joe just says, uh, I'm not going to answer the question and fall into the trap. Pretty unbelievable. No matter how many times the president did it again on my show last night, disavowed the KKK, white supremacy, 
the Proud Boys. I don't. I don't even know anything about this group. Um, and and every other, you know, any other. I don't. I don't like racist. Period. I have no tolerance for racism or anti-Semitism or any of this crap. I don't want anything to do with these people. Nobody does. No normal person does. But there, there are people out there that buy into radical views of some kind. The justice system, huh, good luck to us. you got to watch all these other issues involving, for example, you know, voter fraud. They should concern all of us. Democrats are starting, interestingly, to have second uh, thoughts on mail-in ballots themselves. New York Post pointed out, you know, please do not vote by mail unless it's absolutely necessary. So says a powerful state lawmaker who is urging New York residents to vote early and in person in the wake of the Board of Elections in New York absentee ballot mailing fiasco. Yeah, they just happened to print a a botched hundred thousand absentee ballots bound for Brooklyn voters. Oh, are we now proving over and over again that this isn't good? Anyway, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. All right, so much to get to. Dr. Oz, we're going to talk a lot about, update you. We haven't done it in a while on uh, coronavirus, where we are with therapeutics, where we are in this pursuit of a vaccine. Remember, final stage human trials began in late July. We have anecdotal evidence. What are we learning? Apparently, they have the optimal dose that they figured out. Apparently, antibodies are being created just like in phase two human trials. Uh, Nobody's dying. There appear to be no serious complications at all from any of the third phase human trials going on and just minor negative symptoms, maybe an increase in temperature, uh, a headache or uh, some muscle aches. But that's about it. They have different uh, variations on it. In one case, you need two shots or, or doses of it. In another case, you need one dose. But nobody, you know, everyone apparently is creating antibodies according to what we're reading. Hi, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. 32 days and you are the ultimate jury. You decide. And what is, uh, in my view, the biggest tipping point election in history Uh, Still, our top story today is uh, the president, the first lady, um, testing positive for COVID-19. Nancy Pelosi, well, the Trump administration's behavior has been a brazen invitation. Aren't people so compassionate sometimes? And fake news CNN blaming the president. (laughs) Are we going to make everything, you know, political? Uh, But anyway, listen to uh, some of the friendlier cuts from the media mob. We must have spatial distancing. We must be wearing our masks. We must have sanitation because it can help crush the virus and stop the spread. So maybe now that people who see the president of the United States with all the protection that he has and the first lady still having this exposure, it might be, as you say, a learning experience. But more than learning, it has to be something that is acted upon. This is tragic. It's very sad. But it also is something that going into crowds, uh, unmasked and all the rest, was sort of a a, a brazen invitation for something like this to happen. Sad that it did, uh, but nonetheless hopeful. 
Uh, Carl, in large part, uh, it's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. He chose to uh, downplay masks. He chose to not social distance. The president has downplayed this pandemic. He's admitted to that. His logic was he wanted to stay positive to help America get through this highly infectious and deadly disease. All of this, of course, happening during an election year. But this morning, the president's learning in the worst possible way. You can't argue your way out of this pandemic. The president's positive test comes after months of a dangerous gamble, downplaying COVID-19, floating public health regulations, and minimizing the dangers of the virus. All right, that you know, wasn't that the same Nancy Pelosi, by the way, that we saw without a mask uh, breaking the, the rules out in San Francisco so she can get her hair done? Uh, I, oh, yeah, the same person. Okay. Um, why put people politicize? Dr. Oz and I have often talked about when there is the intersection of politics and and medicine, politics always wins. Anyway, Dr. Oz is back with us. We're going to take some calls from him for him. If you want to join us, 800-941-SEAN. Uh, we have a lot of ground to, to, to get to today. Obviously, anybody that gets this, we you've been through this now for all of these many months, Dr. Oz, and you've been on the cutting edge, and you've talked to doctors all over the world. We now know where we are in terms of therapeutics and vaccines, uh, final stage testing for a number of them. Uh, let's let's take a snapshot of where you see the virus now versus where we were when you were on every day for a while. Well, we've gotten much better primarily through the protocols we use of treating people who get ill. The virus itself hasn't changed that much. It is very infectious, and as evidenced by the fact that the most powerful man in the world, most protected man in the, the world, just got it. So it can sneak through, and as much as we try to test our way to safety, uh, there's no sap substitute for the actual preventive st- strategies. And if you could go, go live by yourself in a, in a, in a hut somewhere, it would be the safest but that's not feasible. So we're all struggling with how much social distancing, what can happen. And that's why when you ask you for a snapshot, uh, it looks like in Europe, there are definitely upticks, but the countries are better prepared than they were. In some countries, we're not seeing ma- major changes. Sweden is an interesting example of a country that, that took a very different approach. Uh, other countries like Turkey, where my family's from, not seeing major changes. China, not seeing major changes where they're you know, pretty much open and doing everything. So what that means to me is we can do better. Uh, there are uh, examples we could follow, but at the end of all the discussions that we would ever have around this virus, we need the vaccine. And I'm optimistic since we've near the ending of the two, two big 30,000 people trials. They're enrolled now pretty much. So we just have to wait, you know, six weeks. Let's see. Make sure it's safe. That's really critical for everyone listening because we don't want any vaccines out there that create issues because no one's going to take them. And then we got to make sure they're effective. And then the president's already said, with you know, we'll pretty quickly roll them out so the first responders, the vulnerable populations will get them. That, by the way, will take the edge off this virus. If the rest of us have to wait a little longer till we have enough vaccines, it's okay as long as people who are most vulnerable are protected. Let, let's stick with the vaccine here for a second. Phase two trials showed us a couple of things. Number one, antibodies were created in the patients that took part of those trials. Uh, they did. They felt at the time that they had found the the ultimate or optimal dose of vaccine that was necessary to create the antibodies. Uh, nobody died, and the side effects were minimal. Um, now that the, these third-stage final human trials have gone on, uh, the fact that they've continued, can we assume from that fact that they also have the optimal dose down, that also antibodies have been created, nobody's died, you had one 
one one stop for about a few days, but it was not vaccine related, they determined. And that the side effects I read, for example, in the AstraZeneca study showed either minor headaches, minor or muscle sore. And that was about as bad as they saw. That's what I've been reading. What have you read? Uh, I think you got it pretty well, Dr. Hannity. You got a quick Do- doctor, my, mo- my mother wanted me to be a doctor, Dr. Oz. She'd be more proud. <laughs> she's more proud of you than me. Trust me. But the, the, the upshot is the vaccine uh, in the stage one and two, where you expose it to a few people, primarily to make sure it's safe before you give it to 30,000 people, did, since they were able to check blood levels, did, did create antibodies. In fact, that's true of almost all the vaccines that are out there. And there are more than half a dozen in already large-scale clinical trials. Um, and the side effects have been you know, very manageable. The one bad one was this AstraZeneca transverse myelitis, which was worrisome because that's the kind of complication that uh, existed in a prior vaccine and made, made everyone worried. Uh, but at, its very, at, the, at the very core of all this, uh, you can't prove that it works until you've got 15,000 people get the vaccine, 15,000 people don't get the vaccine, they live their lives for a couple months, you notice, oh my goodness, the people who got the vaccine had half the number of COVID-19 cases. That's what we're looking for. And that's hard to tell from the, the, the safety trials. You have to actually do these larger called pivotal or stage three trial to figure that out. Now, it's not just the United States. These companies are often doing trials in other countries as well. AstraZeneca is a good example. Uh, there are Chinese vaccines. There are different countries making different vaccines and trying them in South America and Asia. So the world is aggressively pursuing vaccines. It is almost inconceivable to me that we wouldn't find a vaccine that works at some level. Some of them require two shots. Some will be one shot. There'll be other factors that might determine which country uses which vaccine. But we're going to have a lot of vaccines out there uh, and hopefully have many solutions we can pick the best ones depending on your age and you know and other factors you know when the politics gets involved in it now the president had talked about mass production of the vaccine first of all i I do think we need to pause and and think about how profound this is january 21st is the first identified case in coronavirus and here we are it's october the 2nd and now we're in final stage trials of a, of a vaccine. Never in history has anything like this ever happened. Um, and I know there will be people suspicious of a vaccine. I'll get to that in a second here. But I mean, it is a testament to the incredible genius and brilliance of medical researchers and scientists and medical professionals and people like yourself uh, that have have moved. You know, as the president calls it Operation Warp Speed. This is warp speed. And I think it's just a tribute to everybody in terms of uh, an all-hands-on-deck health mobilization that we should really be proud of. We should definitely be proud of it and, and celebrate each other for a change instead of beating each other up. It's unprecedented. It is a mobilization effort that is almost unimaginable. These are, these are five-year programs, five years. And here we are in less than one calendar year. We're going to have a vaccine, we're hoping, hopeful, that can, they can start to, to change the, the destiny of the world with this COVID-19. And a couple of derivative benefits I just want to highlight. All this research helps cancer, and it helps other ailments because the technologies that are being accelerated are ones that we can use for other ailments that are also based at cells-level problems. So the same things like a cell is a cancer at a cell level, right? I mean, one cell turns rogue, becomes sociopathic, damages other cells, doesn't listen, it becomes a cancer. A virus makes a cell behave like that. So we are able to use these technologies for other purposes. And I also believe there's a benefit of getting people to work together who normally didn't. It's also wonderful for the government to not cut corners, but cut red tape. 
And I've been speaking to the members of the task force on the show continuously. And it is, it is, these are wonderful people who are just uh, unbelievably impactful. You're not used to thinking about government uh, employees as making a big difference one by one because it's all together they make things happen. These guys as individuals have stood forward. One took care of testing. One took care of communications. One is running infections. And they've been able to pull their resources and get stuff done, which is the best of America. You know, as I, I watched one thing remain consistent. I think it was last week or the week before I saw the CDC numbers. If you're below the age of 70 and you contract the, the virus, the odds of you dying from it was extraordinarily low. I think it was zero point three or four percent. Um, and, you know, but if you're over 70 and you have underlying conditions and you have a compromised immune system, then things get very complicated or can get very complicated very quickly with a five to 6% mortality rate. Yeah, the mortality rate drops uh, dramatically when you're younger. That's why kids have almost no issues. Young adults, trivial generally. They're exceptions, but generally. And then, of course, as you get above 70, you, you said the number, I think, correctly. The president will hopefully not have any major issues. His survival rate is well over 90%, but he's much higher risk than his wife, for example, and for age and weight and being a male, because males also have bigger problems. And that's the natural history of this virus. However, he's not the highest risk category, which are folks who are even older, even more comorbidities with diabetes or hypertension. Because, Sean, when you have an inflamed body, which is what happens as you carry those morbidities around as you're older, that inflammation you can cope with as long as you, you know, everything's functioning correctly. But when you add a virus like COVID-19 into the mix, you supercharge inflammation. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the major crisis is not the virus for most people. It's the overreaction of your body to the virus. You and I have been involved in the care of many people, uh, you know, friends that just, you know, are struggling. It wasn't, there's no virus left. It's just the body. But, but by the way, this is important what you're saying here, that there's an overreaction of the immune system in some people. And when that happens, it, it, there's two things. First off, it causes blood clots. It causes damage to organs, and that leads to a lot of the complications you see. But the good news is you can stop that. We, there, we have medications like steroids, which you've all used for inflammation of your skin, right, if you've got a rash. Well, it also happens to work in your body if you've got COVID-19. And we've got clinical trials showing benefit there. There are blood thinners sometimes are valuable to prevent the end stages of this inflammation. So there's medications that we can use to help those group. That's why the mortality of the virus has dropped pretty dramatically. Uh, and, and it has blunted the impact of the virus, certainly through the Sun Belt states over the summer. And I'm hoping as we get more of these cases, in, you know, in, in this, in the, which we're going to get in the fall, it won't be nearly as problematic as it was back in March and April. All right, Dr. Oz is with us. So we're going to keep him for the hour. I, I want to get to uh, Dr. Oz when we get back, uh, specifically in the case of the president, the first lady, or anybody that gets this, this well, I guess, invisible enemy, as the president calls it. What advice, specific advice? advice you'd give them. Maybe maybe it's different advice for different ages. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. I will continue with Dr. Oz. Uh, he'll remain with us for the next half hour as well. Let me, let me go into this new therapeutic. The president had mentioned it in my interview with him last night. This is before he knew the results, and he had mentioned that he and the first lady had been tested. But let's go to, there is a new company out that has showed promise. I forget the name of it. It was uh, it just came out this week, and they're showing great promise. Do you know what that one is about? I don't. You're ahead of me. It's not rare, by the way. You seem to get like an early warning system. You text me at 2 in the morning with ideas that are proven right by dawn, but I would never have heard of them. 
Yeah, by the way, that's Dr. Oz pretty much calling your friendly host a loser, um, which is all true. I plead guilty to the above. Um, but uh, we've had some of our best conversations at two or three in the morning, Dr. Oz, as this has all gone through. Um, all right. So I, what I really want to set up, though, for people, and I, I, it just seems so random and so odd. And it's like here, there, out of anywhere that somebody can get this sometimes. Why is that? Well, the reason this virus is even in our radar screen is not because it's so deadly. To your earlier point, the mortality rates in younger people uh, is small, is low enough that we wouldn't have panicked. But it just spreads so aggressively because when it mutated, it it, 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 it had these little little um, tips of uh, it's called corona because it's shaped like a crown. But imagine little spikes on the, this on a sphere, and those spikes have the unique ability to unlock doors in your nose cells that are that can be influenced and when they unlock those cells they get into them and they rapidly get the cell to reproduce these virus particles and then of course they explode and off they go it, so be, but because we don't even know what's happening and because it spreads so rapidly and doesn't take very much to get you sick it, the virus is very well adapted to spread now the current version of the virus is a little different from the one that hit china initially actually may be less problematic in some ways but it spreads so aggressively that after it gets enough people, it'll find some weak members of our of our herd, of our species, people in nursing mm-hmm. homes, people with multiple chronic comorbidities like hypertension or diabetes, uh, obesity, and those are the folks that it really uh, it hits hard. The younger people who've had problems often had some genetic weakness that we don't even know what it is yet that predisposed them to a much worse complication than we would normally have expected. All right, stay, stay right there. Somebody finds out, like the president, the first lady, late last night, they have this. Let's talk about the therapeutic option uh, now that we've talked extensively about the vaccine. More with Dr. Oz. We'll get a couple of calls in the next half hour. 800-941-SEAN if you have a question for Dr. Oz. Quick break. We'll come back on the other side. The other news of the day we'll get to as well uh, as we're only 32 days away from you being the ultimate jury. Straight ahead, Sean Hannity Show. All right, glad you're with us. 25 till the top of the hour. We continue our discussion with the uh, top news story today. The president, first lady testing positive for COVID-19, the coronavirus. All right, we, we talked a lot about the vaccine. Let, now let's talk about therapeutics. Let's say you are the doctor of the president. You are uh, the doctor for the first lady. Um, what would be your first line of defense, your best recommendation for them, or, or frankly, generally speaking, anybody that gets it, or maybe it would be different based on age and health conditions. Tell us some of those variations if you have them. All right, so let's talk about people who don't have COVID-19, but are living their lives, so they're automatically potentially exposed. So I think everyone who can hear my voice right now ought to be on vitamin D, which is the only item that we've uh, be able to show reduces the incidence of the common cold or flu and common colds, coronavirus is relative, so it might be beneficial here. And there's some data from Europe that higher vitamin D levels in populations corresponds to less problems with COVID. So vitamin D, 1,000 to 1,200 international units a day is what we've been telling folks on the show. And it's, uh, it's again, it's a safe dose. Or get some more sunlight, up to you. Vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams a day. Pretty uh, routine. has been given to people in a clinical setting, but I think it makes sense to take it prophylactically. And then the one that's really important is zinc. And zinc is important because it allows your immune cells to, to rapidly respond. So you want rapidly responding immune cells to attack the virus if it comes in. And so giving somebody zinc, and you only need to take about 10 milligrams a day. It's in a lot of multivitamins. And so 
uh, and I know you're going there anyway, so I'll bring it up. If you're going to take hydroxychloroquine, and that needs to be checked with your doctor, needs to be prescribed, and there are potential reasons why people might not want to take it. But if you're going to take it, and it hasn't been proven, but it, it, it's a protocol for many other countries, then you should take it with high-dose zinc to, to get the maximal benefit. Okay, and how much hydroxychloroquine? Now, Dr. Daniel Wallace, who you and I both have quoted fairly extensively, is the foremost expert, I would argue, on hydroxychloroquine. He has the largest lupus practice in the country. He inherited that. Um, 42 years, uh, he also helps rheumatoid arthritis patients, and he's worked with anti-malarials. He's written 400-plus peer-reviewed articles. He's been dispensing this drug for 42 years. Hydroxychloroquine is 65 years old. Um, he said a loading dose of 600 milligrams followed by as many as 30 to 60 days of 400 milligrams. The, that His words, the risk is nil, very different than what we heard from the one study that eventually ended up getting uh, uh, pulled, I believe it was from JAMA, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was in the Lancet. I, I got to say, my, my personal philosophy is we don't know. And I don't think it's even worth debating whether it works or not because we haven't done the clinical trials that, in a way that would make anybody convinced one way or the other. And it's a shame because we should have done the clinical trials. I was pestering uh, Didier Raoult, who was the French doctor who popularized hydroxychloroquine uh, in the West, uh, and I, just yesterday, we're getting into an argument saying, you really should do a clinical trial, and he says, I'm, I think it's unethical, I'm getting success without it, why should I? Because the reason you have to do it is because we just don't know. And that's why I would never tell anyone to take it or not take it based on evidence, because we don't know. However, to your point, uh, I do believe it's safer than has been portrayed in uh, the press, just based on the experience with with, uh, it's used for lupus, but also for malaria, where there's probably a billion people who've taken the drug. All of a sudden done, it doesn't prove that it works. But I know that it's a national protocol. There are countries that, uh, that routinely, as soon as you come into the emergency room, you're given the medication. Together in Turkey, for example, where my family's from, uh, you're given that medication plus uh, remdesivir or, or antiviral. That's their, that's their national protocol. And they give it to everybody uh, who tests positive for COVID-19. Does, does it work? So they're taking hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir together. Together, which is not an unreasonable thing to do. You, there are a lot of people who uh, believe that you need to take an antiviral relatively early to slow the viral progression. And if you're going to take something like hydroxychloroquine, it might work in a different pathway. So they don't, they don't seem to overlap. But again, it hasn't been proven. At least remdesivir had one clinical trial showing that when taken early in the course of the illness, it shortened the illness, which is why... I would certainly want to think about remdesivir for the president because of his risk factors. But, you know, if he has truly mild symptoms right now, most people would do nothing just because most people do just fine getting through the virus on their own. So why create any potential issues and drug side effects by introducing any medication uh, this early in the course of its... uh, This is uh, the first uh, time that I heard that hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir could be used together. That's news to me. But again, you also talk about with hydroxy in particular using zinc at 100 milligrams a day uh, for five, five days, uh, what is the dosage of hydroxy and what is the, the optimal dose of remdesivir? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think the dose of hydroxychloroquine you gave of 600 milligrams or 400 milligrams, depending on the doctor's choice, is fine. But I don't want to give people doses because no, no, you can't do this on your own. 
You, a doctor. No, this has to be with a doctor. I agree. You have to consult right. your own doctor. I if agree. I, if I tell you you're, the dosing, you'll try to go out and get it yourself and try to dose yourself, and I don't want people doing that. This is, these are not... Yeah, you know what my doctor says to me? Uh, you'll get a kick out of this. I'll call him. I say, well, this is going on. This is going on. And uh, I read this, this, and this. And he'd go, okay, so do you want to listen to me, who's done this his whole life, or would you prefer to listen to Dr. Google? <laughs> Which is a pretty good line. <laughs> It's his way of basically telling me to shut up. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's what it takes, believe me. But but here's <laughs> the thing I do want to emphasize. That's all, everything I've talked about now is sort of nice, but the real lifesaver is actually the reduction of the inflammatory reaction that is killing so many. Because it's not the virus often, it's the overreaction as we're discussing. So the ability to use steroids, which everyone knows might be beneficial for other ailments that you might have rashes on, that has really made a big difference because if we see that people are beating the virus, but then their immune system now is overreacting, beating them, you can use steroids in pretty sizable doses and slow that down. And that has been really valuable in the clinical Tell me which particular, there's a lot of steroids out there starting, I guess, with prednisone and some others. What, what particular steroids are you talking about? Well, dexamethasone was the one used in these trials. But again, for the listeners, it, it, you can't dose yourself. You can't just go buy some prednisone and try it out. Don't be a chemistry lab because you, know, you don't know how to... You know. <laughs> We're not advising that. I agree. We're just telling you to talk to your doctor. Right? You're cracking but, but me but up. there are steroids. Yeah, there are steroids that have been used in really sick people in the hospital and dramatically changed their natural history. And, and it, it's, you know, it's a, such a simple treatment. But until we understood that that's what the virus was doing to you, we couldn't be, even contemplate using it because on the surface, you wouldn't give steroids to someone fighting infection because it weakens your immune system, which is why you don't want to take steroids early in the course of this illness because your body should be allowed to beat it first. But if you beat it and you didn't stop beating it, that's when doctors very carefully will start to say, you know what, maybe today, for the first time after a week and a half or whatever it is of watching you, we think you should for the first time try steroids. So that would be brought in later if there seems to be an immune system overreaction, which you rightly point out, because I know people that this has happened to, um, and, and people that I that actually you know, because I asked you specific questions about specific people, and you were always very generous with your time and, and knowledge and help and um, and and by the way, you were usually right, but that would be a, a later course if, in fact, you were struggling, say, respiratory struggles of some kind, right? Exactly. And I think we've also gotten much better about ventilators, and we're using high-flow oxygen instead of putting ventilators in people so that it allows your lungs to, to bounce back a little more on their own without overwhelming them with, with it being ventilated, which sometimes forces too much air into the lungs. There's lots of subtle things we've learned about the management of critical people with COVID-19, and that's why the mortality rate has dropped so much across the country. All right, quick break. We'll come back more with Dr. Oz on the other side as uh, we continue our, our long discussion updating all things COVID-19 in light of the news of the president and first lady. All right, we're all worried about safety and security. Only one in five American homes have a home security system. And, you know, the home security industry did a lot of damage over the years because they, they weren't really good in terms of the service they provided. They bust up your walls, charge you huge installation fees, and you have to repaint the inside of your house. Uh, then they'd make you sign, you know, three, four, five-year contracts, 50, 60 bucks a month. You can't get out of the contracts, even if you want to get out of the contracts. Uh, Simply Safe Home Security, they have changed all of that, an arsenal of sensors, cameras. It'll blanket every room, window, and door in your home. 
You get professional monitoring 24-7, 365. They're ready to send police, fire, medical professionals. God forbid you have an emergency. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. Um, and you don't have any contract to sign, and it's only 15 bucks a month or 50 cents a day. U.S. News & World Report says Simply Safe Home Security is the best overall home security of 2020. Just go to simplysafehannity.com now, and you'll get a free HD security camera just for listening to this show. That's simplysafehannity.com, and make sure you keep and protect your home and your family. All right, quick break, news roundup, information overload hour coming up straight ahead. All right, as we continue with Dr. Oz, uh, in light of today's breaking news about the president and first lady testing positive for COVID-19. Now, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have tested negative today, uh, and they're now back out on the camp tra- campaign trail. Uh, it, there, there was not any uh, close proximity to the president. There was distance between them. And that's four days later. Is that about enough time to determine that there's no way the president could have given if he had at the time uh, asymptomatic, if he had covid, that he could have passed it on to the former vice president? You don't know. And I I hate to be a buzzkill on this, but it's been three days. He was 12 feet away. I I tried to measure it uh, just looking at their heights. I think that's about the right number. And that's that's appropriately socially distanced. So by CDC protocols, there's no need for for Vice President Biden to quarantine or do anything. However, no one knows what the impact of standing 12 feet away from someone who may have had COVID-19 and having a shouting match back and forth uh, for 90 minutes will do. You know, we just don't know. And so is there a possibility, albeit small, that if the president was expressing virus, which, again, it doesn't seem like he had any symptoms at all, and hopefully he had no virus because he even checked before he went out to, to debate. But we only know what happens, you know, a couple, two, day, two, two and a half days later when he got tested again. So in theory, he wasn't infectious. But if he was, and if he was debating for an hour and a half, there's possibility that virus could have gotten into the air around Vice President See, Biden but the thing is, is both of them out. tested negative on Tuesday. I know, but the, the problem with the testing, uh, I mean, first of all, the testing is good because it means that they weren't expressing virus at the moment, which gives me the most confidence that the vice president wasn't exposed to the, 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 uh, the, to the president. But uh, once most people test positive, they've already been expressing the virus for, again, a couple of hours, a couple of days. You can't, it depends when you got tested. So you don't. You know, unless you magically catch that moment when the first virus comes out of your body and test it, you're going to miss the window. That's the risk with testing. That's why you cannot test yourself to safety. Because no matter how much you test, there's always going to be that time between when you first start developing viral illness, before you have symptoms, and before you get tested where you could infect others. So let's just play this out. You get exposed to somebody on Tuesday, election night, I mean, a debate night, right? And then four days later, on average, is when people start to express virus. We'll usually catch it by day five. So there's that one-day period in between. Many people won't get tested on day five, so they get tested on day six, seven, or eight. So now you've got a four-day window when you're actually expressing virus in your body when no one can find it. And that's why I keep hammering, although we have to test, it's really important because it identifies secret hidden cases, right? The president would never have known he was ill. He only has mild symptoms now. He would have written it off to a long work week. But by testing, you identify people and can get them to isolate. But it, it's, uh, it's, it's not the same as truly self-distancing, you know, distancing yourself from other people, wearing masks appropriately. Those, those, fa- those do matter because you're never going to overwhelm the benefit of that. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I used it anecdotally for a long time, and a lot of people kind of criticized me for saying I don't have a problem wearing the mask at all. As a matter of fact, anecdotally, uh, in the middle of the worst 
worst of this, as you recall. Uh, I I thought going into my local grocery store and drugstore every week and seeing everybody masked up and nobody got the virus, it told me that probably works. I, I, I was I, with you in the middle of the worst of the yeah, worst. By the way, I got the crap beat out of me often because for saying that. Well, you're you're brave, uh, and people don't give you credit for it because you say things that you know, get under people's skins on both sides. That's how you know you're actually speaking the truth. Is you know people care what you're saying, but I think your wisdom is there. There's there's no way we can get, get. Listen, I've spoken to folks on the on the White House task force and over and over again on the show, and when I asked them, give me the basics. What do you wish everyone would do? Don't give me fifty things. Just give me two things. It's wear a mask, avoid super spreader events. So don't go mosh pit diving in the middle of a, <laughs> of a party. That's, that's oh, damn. Be a you just ruined my weekend plans. I was about to go mosh pit diving this weekend. Darn it. But if you're going to be exposed to people on a subway, uh, on a plane, because you have to, uh, you're going to live your life, wear a mask. And we've been back in the studio for a month now. We test meticulous. I get tested three times a week. All my camera folks, they never take their masks off. I forget what they look like. They, you know, they, we've been together 12 years. <laughs> Everyone is, is as careful as they can be because we don't want to stop the production of the show. And if you really care, wear a mask. We're going to have No, we can't have you down. We, the, America needs to know how hard, uh, all throughout this whole process, uh, the many, many not, sleepless nights on the phone with people from all over the world just trying to accumulate as much information as possible and as you often said it's you know you go to war with the army you have not the one you wish you had so much hope now for the vaccine and and we got to stand back and look at look at that that progress and be happy and celebrate the goodness the greatness the advancement in medical research and scientists and medical professionals because you guys are amazing in what you do every day um dr oz as always you've been amazing thank you so much for spending so much time with us today we really appreciate it 800-941-SEAN toll-free telephone number quick break right back we'll continue all right news roundup and information overload hour sean hannity show a lot of news today uh as uh, the president by the way will be holding a virtual I guess rally tonight um, if it's happening during Hannity we will uh, dip in and out of that we'll be covering it live we'll let you know what time that is all taking place uh, pretty interesting after the diagnosis yesterday um, you know one thing that has been a, a, a pretty bizarre phenomenon to me I, I don't waste a lot of time talking about these the people that thought they were Republican you know, got, for example, you have Steve Schmidt, Nicole Wallace. I've known them for years when they were running John McCain's campaign. Um, and when Nicole Wa- uh, Wallace worked for George W. Bush, uh, I knew her then. I have nothing against either one of them. They're allowed to have their own political opinions. Uh, I remember Joe Scarborough when, you know, one day in particular, when the 2000 election took place, calls me. I was walking around my backyard as he's telling me they're stealing this election from George W. Bush. Uh, he claims he's a conservative. Uh, I would beg to differ with that. I think he is not at all. Um, but you have this whole the, the Lincoln Project group of people. Um, everybody's entitled to their own political views. But you're not going to tell me that all of these people that that rage against Trump and it is rage that are backing Biden, but yet calling themselves publicly Republicans is believable to me. Because they're they're now they are now actively going against the single greatest governing conservative we've had in our lifetime, and that being Donald Trump. And they are supporting, well, let's be honest, the weak, frail, uh, cognitively compromised Joe Biden, 
a guy that won't even answer a question about stacking the court, sending the legislative filibuster. He won't take a stand. Well, the stands that he has taken are what the Bolshevik Bernie manifesto, as we discussed earlier, and, and all these other radical stands and eliminating oil and gas and the new Green Deal and open borders and amnesty. And we know his weakness on foreign policy i.e. the mullahs in Iran getting $150 billion in cash and other currency and we getting nothing. Um, but that is what would happen if they have their way in just 32 short days. Um, there's actually a book that has now been written about this. I'm going to get to the author in a second here um, because I think it's I, I just think it's a critical moment uh, for all of us to ask, you know, ask yourself, do you really believe the, the people when they when they talk about this let's go to for example the president talking about mail-in fraud i don't hear any former republican speaking out and i've got to imagine if it was john mccain or mitt romney or more moderate or rhino republican that they would be feeling this way this is going to be all over this is in virginia this is in new jersey it's a very very sad thing and hopefully we can win by a lot because i have no doubt that they're going to be doing a number. I have no doubt about it. And the press knows that, too. You know, they act so, so sacrosanct. They act so, oh, it's so terrible. He's talking about our democracy. They know what's going on. It's really a shame. If, if the other side did this, you would see everybody would be arrested, put in jail. You have to see what's going on. Uh, now let's listen to who the people I was talking about. These are these are people that identify themselves as Republicans, but they will buy into the most radical, extreme socialist views and ideas that would turn this country on its head. If, in fact, Biden, Bolshevik, Bernie, Kamala Harris, AOC ever get power. Just listen to them. Hi, everyone. It's four o'clock in New York. America's Mad King George woke up to devastating reviews this morning of his latest turn on the world stage at the G7 summit. Donald Trump, I truly believe, doesn't know any better. I truly believe he's the hamburger eating, Zamboni riding loon that we see on TV and on Twitter. What we should be doing is shunning these people. Shunning, shaming these people is a statement of moral indignation that these people are not fit for polite society. I think it's absolutely abhorrent that any institution of higher learning, any um, news organization or any or, uh, entertainment organization that has a news outlet would hire these people. In every instance, uh, the administration has been found to be lying on all of these issues. They, they couldn't be more vile than if they were monkeys hurling their excrement at each other in a cage. The Republican Party is as far as I can tell, is, is, is gone, dead and buried. It's probably never coming back. Doesn't exist. All right. The party of Trump has to be burnt down. There's a book on it. And I found it fascinating. Actually, it's called Disloyal Opposition. Uh, how the uh, hashtag Never Trump Right tried and failed to take down the president, Julie Kelly. Uh, thanks for being with us. Well, it, uh, you know, in one sense that they are working probably as hard, if not harder than the radical Democratic Socialist at defeating Donald Trump. I mean, you've got powerful institutional forces, all of the Democratic Party. You've got all, pretty much all the media, 99%. And you've got all of these never-Trumpers, the Lincoln Project, the the Joe Scarboroughs, all these, you know, MSDNC, so-called Republicans that aren't Republicans at all, uh, the same people that would urge us, Julie, to suck it up for the good of the party and support the rhino. That's exactly right, Sean, and thank you so much for having me on. It's important 
that people realize in uh, the loop that you're playing of Jennifer Rubin and Nicole Wallace and Max Boot, these people are uh, illusion artists, right? So they can only be valuable or get their gigs on the Washington at the Washington Post or on MSNBC and CNN, giving this false impression that they're conservatives and Republicans who oppose Donald Trump, and they somehow represent a large swath of the Republican Party. So they're really fraudsters, but they act in one of the chapters in my book is called Useful Idiots. They act as useful idiots to the left, and it just helps fuel this nonstop uh, campaign crusade against the president. And in the meantime, here they are, as you point out, supporting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They supported Democrats in 2018. They want Democrats to take over every, uh, every branch of government and the courts. They're already preparing to fight the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. They're really contemptible people. And honestly, I would rather, I will take the left over <laughs> the never Trumpers because at least with the left and the Democrats, you know who you're dealing with. These people are flat out frauds. And they are funded, as I point out in my book, not by the right, but by left-wing billionaires who are pouring tens of millions of dollars into their Never Trump projects. Where is all of that money coming from? Because they're spending a lot of money. I I, I don't really pay as much attention to uh, this because, you know, look, I'll be honest, Julie, I take the opinion if you want to be a Never Trumper and you want to tell everybody you're a Republican, I don't believe you. But, you know, you're free to do and say whatever you want and spend as much money as I guess you can raise. But where are they being funded from? Well, as I point out in my book, one of their major funders is a billionaire named Pierre Omidyar. He is the founder of eBay, and he is funding tens of millions of dollars, pouring them into these Never Trump projects, people, groups headed up by folks like Bill Crystal, Evan McMullen. Um, some people might be hearing about this group called Republican Voters Against Trump. Um, it's funded by Mr. Omidyar, a, an umbrella group of Bill Crystals funded by Omidyar. But the reason why people should pay attention is because they are, for example, spending 8 to $10 million in Florida running ads with Republicans or people who are purported to be Republicans giving their endorsement for Joe Biden and explaining why Donald Trump is the worst person and he should not be the Republican candidate for president. And so they are going into these swing states, pretending that they are Republicans, putting up people who claim to be Republicans, but their money is coming not from conservatives or Republicans, but from left-wing billionaires who are associated with other billionaires, such as Tom Steyer, George Soros. They're all in this operation together. But if you're just an average person who's not obsessing over this, and you see these ads running in Ohio or in Florida or Pennsylvania, you're really kind of can be left with the impression that there are a lot of Republicans opposed to the president when these are just paid flax uh, to give voters this fake impression. You know, I, it just is amazing to me because I, I I don't believe for a second that they believe uh, in any of this. I, I saw Nicole Wallace. I mean, it was her and Steve Schmidt that ultimately made the decision for John with John McCain uh, in terms of picking Sarah Palin. And she's trying to do penance and, and her deeply she deeply regrets it. Uh, I don't think she should deeply regret anything because Governor Palin gave John McCain a, a boost that he desperately needed. And that was he did not have a lot of support within conservative ranks. And 
you know, I, I still believe in my heart he would have been a better president than Obama, just like I think Romney would have been a better president than Obama. But with that said, uh, I don't think any either one of them were particularly strong candidates, especially in 2012. I think we could have won that race. Absolutely right. And how infuriating now to see Mitt Romney turn on the president in so many ways. You know, here's a man who really lost what most of us believed at the time was a winnable race. And now he is turning on the Republican Party who supported him, volunteered for him, donated to his campaign in, you know, helping the left and the Democrats try to take down Donald Trump. And their role was even more insidious. Sean, you know, I watch you all the time and and, am so appreciative for your coverage of the Russian collusion hoax. But these never Trumpers were really the first people to peddle the collusion hoax. And they continued throughout 2016. And all the way through the Mueller report, they just seized on every single little bombshell lying to the American people and their readers and their listeners and viewers that this was a legitimate crime when they knew that it wasn't. And so they have really acted as an insidious player in this nonstop permanent coup uh, against Donald Trump. But they've not just turned against the president. They've turned against the Republican Party. They've turned against the Republican rank and file. And at a you time know, when- You know what my point is? Just stop Stop claiming you're a Republican or a conservative. Just stop. Why don't you just be honest? You're a liberal Democrat. You're supporting a socialist. Well, honestly, you're, you're supporting a weak, frail, cognitively challenged, radical socialist who will probably be controlled by the hardest left uh, leaders in the party. And it's funny, even if you pull up old tweets, say of Rick Wilson, who is now working with Steve Schmidt and others on the Lincoln Project, if you look at his old tweets about Joe Biden, I mean, they're completely 180 degrees, obviously, than what he's saying right now. But, Sean, as I pointed out in my book, and to your point, they're not Republicans or conservatives. Someone like Jen Rubin, who really is one of the more contemptible of the bunch, they have pivoted on every single conservative opinion they ever had, from pro-life to uh, the Second Amendment to climate change, tax cuts, the budget, you name it. There is nothing conservative or Republican about these folks anymore. Um, And it's sort of a shame that these media outlets... And we know why they don't want us on there defending Donald Trump or his agenda, the Republican Party. They want these folks to act as their useful idiots. The big question, Sean, is what happens when Donald Trump is not president anymore? Where does the Jennifer Rubin go? Right, stay right there. Personal. We we, we got to take a break. We'll come back. Uh, the book is phenomenal. I mean, it's it's something I've been interested in. I don't spend a lot of time talking about the Never Trumper crowd because I just don't care about any of them. They mean nothing to me. Disloyal opposition, how the Never Trump right tried, failed to take down the president. They're, by the way, they're trying hard to do so in 32 days. Right as we continue, Julie Kelly is with us talking about the Never Trump right, her new book, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere, Disloyal Opposition. How the Never Trump right tried and failed to take down the president, although I I would argue they're not right. I would argue that they've always been left. That's right. Uh, They most of them have been and they continue to, you know, Bill Crystal had that famous tweet right uh, about two years ago where he claimed he had found his inner socialist and found his inner feminist. And like, come on, you've had that all along. You just sort of use the Republican Party as your vehicle to fame and attention and power, quite frankly. Um, And so as I detail in my book, they're not conservatives. They've pivoted on every position. 
some of them were in on the character assassination of Brett Kavanaugh. Some of them jumped on the social media mob. Again, think about this, Sean. You have pro-life teenagers, right? These are the sort of young people that the conservative movement has claimed to want to raise for the past three decades. Here you have young young people traveling in the dead of winter from Kentucky to Washington, D.C. to take on a social cause that is wildly unpopular uh, among their, their, their friends, their young friends. But they did so. And then here you had top conservative movement pundits, uh, magazine editors, jump on the social media mob against these kids. That, for me, was really a defining moment about their motives, their thought process, and just who these people really are at their core. i got to let you go. It's a great book. Uh, Amazon.com bookstores everywhere. Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried Failed to Take Down the President. Julie, fascinating analysis. I've, they, they have puzzled me because <clears throat> the fact they claim something we know is not true is pretty amazing. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free uh, telephone number as we continue. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program uh, on the issue of opening up the economy, uh, which is a top, top priority for most Americans, and opening up safe, uh, you know, safely, of course. Uh, we have a day when Andrew Cuomo is warning of a potential spike in coronavirus cases. Uh, in the fall, U.S. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia said he believes some parts of the country have been too cautious cautious regarding reopening the economy uh let's go to uh the president saying democrats in these states where it is safe need to open up you take a look at what's happening in some of your democrat run states where they have these tough shutdowns and i'm telling you it's because they don't want to open it one of them came out last week you saw that Oh, we're going to open up on november 9th why november 9th because it's after the election they think they're hurting us by keeping them closed they're hurting people People know what to do. They can social distance. They can wash the hands. They can wear masks. They can do whatever they want. But they got to open these states up. And he'll close down the whole country. This guy will close down the whole country and destroy our country. Our country is coming back incredibly well, setting records as it does it. We don't need somebody to come in and say, let's shut it down. All right. That was the president in the debate the other night. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia has uh, weighed in on this, that we do and we know how to reduce transmission and, and open safely. You know, but don't we all wish there was no risk in life? Of course we do. No, we, nobody wants one death in anything. Nobody wants car accidents either or plane crashes. And it's a matter of uh, do, do you just freeze life and, and how do you survive then? Remember, in New York, at the worst of this, I would always talk about, well, if the if if the people that manufactured the medical equipment, if they shut down, New York would have been dead. If farmers stopped farming, if packers stopped, stopped packing and truckers stopped trucking, well, what would be in the stores in New York, Long Island and New Jersey and, and some of these other <clears throat> early states that were hit so hard? You wouldn't survive. So, you know, well, we say there are essential workers. OK, well, what do we learn? You know, I, I said it so many times at the peak of all this and the epicenter of all of this that I'd go to my local grocery store once, twice a week. I'd see every single person there every single week. And I they all had their masks on. They all had the plexiglass up and. Many wore shields and and goggles, but nobody got COVID-19 by following those protocols. Uh, Now, some people have 
you know, no appetite. They they just they they choose not to wear the mask. I personally recommend have been recommending it, but that's my choice. I'm not going to sit there, but stores would have the right to tell you not to go in. Anyway, Eugene Scalia is the labor secretary here to uh, uh, talk a little bit about this. Then we'll get to your calls in a minute. First of all, I was a big fan of your father, um, the late Justice Antonin Scalia, who I think was one of the most brilliant judicial minds in the history of the country with an incredible wit, uh, knowledge and humor that that's almost unparalleled. Uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, Sean, thank you. It's great to join you. And yeah, thanks for those kind words. And obviously, uh, uh, we're thrilled to uh, see uh, one of my father's clerks and one that he uh, thought so highly of uh, now nominated for the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, um, we know that, um, for example, your your dad would always talk about being an originalist, a textual, a textualist, a a constitutionalist, and very different from this idea of judicial activism or surpassing or bypassing other co-equal branches of government and legislating from the bench. Um, opening the economy and opening it safely. I mean, it's you're threading a needle. There's no perfect way to do it. We all know that, but it is happening, and it's happening successfully in many parts of the country. Well, that's right. Here's how I'd put it. Uh, we have to continue to reopen safely, but we have to reopen for safety's sake. In other words, we, we, you know, we, we know we can reopen safely. We're doing it across the country. Uh, but uh, one of the reasons to be reopening is it, uh, it does promote uh, health, well-being, uh, uh, as long as we do it safely. We've seen evidence, for example, of uh, uh, opioid and other drug overdoses increasing. Uh, there's new uh, data coming out about, you know, so tragic uh, suicides in the military that are being attributed to uh, increased isolation. So, so many reasons uh, to uh, be reopening, uh, doing it safely. And, uh, you know, we saw uh, more news today about the progress we're making. Uh, we put out our monthly jobs report in the private sector. We added nearly 900,000 uh, more jobs in, in August. We've now brought back more than half the jobs we've lost, Sean, but I'll tell you that, um, uh, I'm sorry, September jobs report was dragged down a, a bit by job losses in education, about 350,000 fewer jobs uh, than uh, we would have expected uh, in education in September because of the school closures. Well, it's important. Now, when you're working with these businesses, it's amazing how they've adopted. I mean, like, for example, some of the restaurants now, um, number one in New York, at least for the summer, they opened up outdoors. Uh, now some of them have 25 percent capacity, but no restaurant can really survive. There was an estimate that 50 percent of restaurants in New York will be gone as a result of of COVID-19 and the and the long uh, drawn out shutdown that they've had. I, I, I don't know how those businesses ever come back. Well, uh, restaurants, as you know, always operate on, on a tight margin. It has been they hard do. for them. Uh, it's part of the reason why the Paycheck Protection Program uh, was so important, but it's part of the reason why uh, we need additional help uh, through the Paycheck Protection Program going forward, which uh, Nancy Pelosi and the uh, Democrats have uh, made so difficult to do. Uh, I, I do think there are uh, some states that uh, can uh, go farther in allowing the restaurants to open. Uh, as you know, New York just in Manhattan just let uh, restaurants start having a, a low level of uh, uh, in-restaurant dining uh, uh, earlier this week. So um, th th a lot of jobs there in leisure and hospitality, which includes restaurants. We added a lot back in September, but I think we can make more progress 
uh, by reopening more safely, uh, not, not being uh, overcautious as, as we uh, move forward against the virus. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'd like to see all that happening. Where do you see third quarter growth? The Atlanta Fed, I believe, was the one that came out. And they, they project it could be as high as a 32% growth in, in GDP, which would shatter any previous record in the history of this country. Well, uh, yes, I think we are seeing estimates of that range, maybe even just a little bit higher. Uh, wow. And, you know, we'll see those numbers soon. I'll tell you, though, when, uh, when you, uh, in addition to the employment numbers we're seeing, we got news yesterday about growth in manufacturing. We've seen consumer confidence going up. The uh, 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 residential real estate market, uh, new home sales has, has just been going gangbusters. So there are a lot of signs of vitality in the economy right now. Another really interesting development is just the extraordinary number of new business openings. Uh, record number of new business openings uh, over the summer uh, reflecting people who are responding to the virus uh, with optimism uh, and with entrepreneurialism, by the way. Well, we really appreciate the update. Uh, when we get these third quarter GDP numbers, it's going to tell an even bigger story. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you for being with us. Um, I, was, I was a huge fan of uh, your dad's. I'm, I'm now a fan of yours, too. I've watched your work closely. And uh, please, my best to your mom and, and the rest of your family. Thanks very much, Sean. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Quickly, we'll get to a couple of calls here. Uh, let us say hi to Scott. He's in Louisiana. Scott, hi. How are you? Glad you called, sir. Great, Sean. It's an honor to talk to you today. I just wanted to tell you that uh, the Supreme Court nomination thing, after everything the sniveling Democrats have pulled over the last four years, they deserve absolutely no consideration in the confirmation process whatsoever. And I'd like to also submit that... Uh, the coronavirus probably is the number one reason we need to get her confirmed before the election. Well, listen, I agree with you. I, I'm, I was a little surprised Mitch McConnell didn't guarantee that because Lindsey Graham has been very clear as the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee that they that Amy Coney Barrett will be out of committee. I think he said by the 22nd of October, which means that they can vote on her, I, I think, as early as the 26th, which I think they should do expeditiously. And, you know, the Democrats would do and. You know, they're like petulant children now, and they're throwing a hissy fit every day and a temper tantrum by screaming, uh, all the, everything's on the table, ending the legislative filibuster, packing the courts. Uh, I guess they'll move forward eventually with eliminating the Electoral College. At least they'll attempt it. That'll be more difficult. Um, and, they, and Pelosi, we can impeach the president any day for any reason. I mean, the, the, the vile hatred of all things Trump, you know, just continues to, to just wreak havoc on the country. And they seemingly don't care, do they? No, they don't. But I have confidence in Mitch. I mean, look what happened with, uh, with my, what the, uh, the last Supreme Court justice the Democrats wanted to put forward. I forget his name, but, uh, you know, Mitch wasn't going to have it. And he knows this is of extreme importance. So I, I'm, I'm not counting out Mitch yet. No, I'm not either. All right, Scott, Louisiana, thank you for being with us. San Antonio, Peter is next. Peter, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Hey, Sean. Hey, thanks for everything you do. Um, hey, thank you. Yeah, the, re- the reason I called, I just wanted to, I mentioned to your caller because of all that's been going on with uh, the studies. I am currently an orthopedic surgeon here in San Antonio, and I am part of the phase three study. You uh, are? Oh yeah, I listen. I did phase which, one. Which can I, I ask? Which study? Which company? AstraZeneca, yeah, Moderna. Pfizer. Which one? Pfizer. Pfizer. Okay. Yeah, Pfizer. By the way, yeah. Pfizer seems to have made the most progress. Well, I, you know, I do my research. I'm I'm 67 years old. You know, I did phase one stuff when I was in med school. You know, you have brothers or somebody who's doctors. Doc, medical students are one step above a rat, lab rat and one step below a monkey. 
so we basically would do phase one studies for some income as med students, you know, just to see what the safety was, you know, that we'd take a drug or a shot. I did phase two um, for Ebola, and that's basically to see how much to give people. And um, I felt it was important because that had a 40% mortality rate. And in case I had to take care of Ebola patients, um, and I took a very high dose, um, but it turned out to be very valuable. But uh, but um, my understanding, Peter, is that if you're in this final phase of of trials, that there's half the group that gets a placebo and the right. other half, in fact, gets the vaccine. Do you know if you've gotten the vaccine at this point? Yes. I had a temperature of 99 that night. Um, so I know I got it. My wife had no reaction whatsoever. But see, that's the whole point. Everybody says safe but effective. I feel we've worked out the safe part. You know, I'm not stupid at 67. So the, have you the been tested part, for antibodies yet? I, today I did. Um, oh, so you don't know the answer yet? No, I ran 99. I usually run 97. Um, okay. And, and did you get one shot or two? I got two. And both times I went to 99. Which is, um, you know, well, that means you probably got it. And what I'm what what phase two trials showed is that though that people that took it, they might have a slight reaction like you did or muscle right. soreness or even a headache. Uh, right. But that was it. Nobody was dying and everybody was producing antibodies. I would well, assume when you get the calls back and let us know if you got the antibodies. Well, the phase three, the other thing about it is it may take a while because. In Ebola, it was night and day. They went over there, and the people that got vaccinated didn't have any problems, and the people that didn't get vaccinated, a lot of them died. So they stopped phase three within three weeks. The problem in San Antonio, it's not really a problem, is we don't have that much disease around as much. So, And we're, all, we're still being protective. I still wear a mask and gloves because I don't want my patients to get anything. I still take D, C, and zinc, like Dr. Oz mentions. Um, and so it may take months because it's basically efficacy, which group gets the most and which one doesn't. And at some point, I think they should probably release the vaccine. The only risk you'd have is it doesn't work um, to people. I'd give it to my mother tomorrow. She's 93. Yeah, look, I mean, and the fact that they have in place the means of mass production of this, especially the most vulnerable would get it first, I think is right. is is just smart. And also mass distribution using the military, as the president has talked about. That's pretty good, too. Anyway, well, thanks for sharing that with us. Appreciate it, Peter. Um, and wish you and your, your wife the best. And uh, thank you for being brave and doing that because you're helping your fellow man out by doing it. Um, and by the way, when you sign up for these trials, you know, there's a risk always associated with it. And all these people, they, they bravely do it anyway. And they do it in the hopes that they can help in, in finding an answer for other people if they get sick. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. Hope you will always set your DVR nine Eastern tonight. Hannity on Fox, the left's vile, bile, hatred, the media mobs, hatred it just the venom that comes out now we'll talk about all of that also we're going to get a medical update from our medical aid team dr oz dr ronnie jackson call rove he gives us his take with ari fleischer 32 days out on monday it is only 29 days and you are the ultimate jury have a great weekend see you tonight back here monday thanks for being with us